Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. It's May 2005, and in El Segundo, California, Gwen Shotwell strides through SpaceX's open plan headquarters with a large rolled-up map of the world in her hand. Shotwell is the 41-year-old business development chief of SpaceX, and Elon Musk's just given her a high-priority mission. She marches towards a group of engineers who are prepping the giant machine that welds fuel tanks for the company's Falcon 1 rocket. One of the group, a tall, square-jawed man, looks up as Shotwell approaches. He's Hans Koenigsmann, the German launch engineer of the Falcon 1 rocket. Shotwell waves him over. Hans, I need you in the conference room. Can it wait? No. Elon wants an answer within the hour. Koenigsmann nods and walks with Shotwell towards the conference room. What's going on, Gwen? Vandenberg. Koenigsmann sighs. Vandenberg is a U.S. Air Force base on the California coast. It's where the Falcon 1's first test flights are supposed to happen. But the base is dragging its feet. What's the problem now? Not sure. But now they're saying it'll be months before we get a launch slot. I assume Boeing and Lockheed Martin are leaning on the Air Force again. Boeing and Lockheed Martin are the Pentagon's go-to rocketeers. They deliver the nation's military and spy satellites to orbit. The companies also use Vandenberg, and they don't want SpaceX firing experimental rockets anywhere near their launch pads. For these corporate titans, SpaceX is amateur hour, the expensive hobby of some dot-com millionaire who's read too much sci-fi. And frankly, the Pentagon finds it hard to disagree. But Musk isn't going to wait. So now, Shotwell has to find a new home for Falcon 1's test launch. Shotwell and Koenigsman enter the conference room. Shotwell unfurls her world map and pins it up on the wall. Okay, where do we start? Well, we want to be close to the equator. The Earth spins faster there, so it's easier to reach orbit. Maybe Hawaii? No, the military base there can't handle rocket launches. Shotwell scans the Pacific Ocean and hones in on a remote archipelago 3,000 miles northwest of Australia. There! Koenigsman looks surprised. The Marshall Islands? Isn't that where the nukes were tested? Yeah, but they were also going to test President Reagan's missile defense system there. Star Wars? Yeah, they were going to fire missiles from California and then try to shoot them down from the atoll. Huh, sounds ideal. It's remote, too, so less risk of hitting anything. Which island is the base on? Shotwell squints at the map. Mm, uh, that's it. Uh, Quadge. I remember now. Quadge. On the map, Quadge is barely visible. A mere speck that's thousands of miles away from, well, everywhere. Shotwell contacts the army base on Quadge. And three weeks later, SpaceX is packing its flip-flops and rocket engines for what feels like a desert island getaway 
The company thinks its test launch hassles are now behind it. But this sun-kissed vacation will turn into a holiday from hell. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Richard Branson bought a spaceship, SpaceX fell out with NASA, and Blue Origin made one small hop for mankind. Now, SpaceX is heading to a remote atoll to launch its rocket. But before it does, it's out to settle scores in Washington, D.C. This is Episode 3, Burning Up. It's the summer of 2005, and in a procurement official's office inside the Pentagon, SpaceX lobbyist Lawrence Williams is trying to stop a juggernaut. Aerospace titans Boeing and Lockheed Martin are about to merge their rocket launching operations. They're founding a joint venture called the United Launch Alliance. With its mighty Atlas V and Delta IV rockets, United Launch Alliance will dominate the U.S. military satellite launches. It's just gotten a Pentagon contract that shuts SpaceX out of that market entirely until 2011. Williams urges the Pentagon official to scuttle the contract. SpaceX wishes to register serious objections to the United Launch Alliance deal. You're creating a monopoly here. Without competition, the cost per launch will rise. Other competitors deserve a fair shot at this work. The official raises an eyebrow. Why competitors? Us. SpaceX. Oh, right. Remind me, how many rockets have you launched? Uh, none yet, but the Falcon 1's first launch is due next month. Did SpaceX bid for the contracts United Launch Alliance won? No, we don't have the necessary security clearance, but... Will the Falcon 1 be able to carry the payload specified in the contract? Uh, no. So, you've never launched a rocket, 
You didn't bid for the contract, and even if the Falcon 1 flies, it'll be incapable of taking our satellites into orbit. And yet you want us to remove a contract from a proven supplier? We're designing a bigger rocket, the Falcon 9. Oh, you got a paper rocket. Well, why didn't you say that? I'll tear up that deal immediately. (laughs) I have to admit, you guys do have balls. But we've made our decision. What about cost? Lockheed and Boeing charge hundreds of millions per launch. We're paying for reliability. We're sending advanced top-secret satellites into orbit. Cheap but unreliable rockets don't save us a dime. Williams leaves, feeling deflated. Big talk and bravado just won't cut it anymore. In space, only action counts. SpaceX needs to earn its wings. Fast. Early afternoon, November 26, 2005. Inside a windowless trailer on the Quaj Atoll, SpaceX is ready to launch the Falcon 1. The company's engineers arrived on the Pacific Outpost six months ago. Ever since, they've lived and worked as a disciplined unit. They've slept in military dorms, whacked hissing cockroaches with flip-flops, and mastered biking in the strong trade winds. They've learned to improvise, too. Quaj is so remote, equipment is hard to get. The engineers literally had to pour the concrete for their launch pad on the nearby island of Omelek. To get the Falcon 1 onto the pad on Omelek, they had to move the rocket like the ancient Egyptians building the pyramids, by rolling it into position with logs and wooden planks. But now, it's payoff time. In the control room, the ground crew stare at their monitors showing the Falcon 1 towering over the nearby palm trees. They're almost ready to blast this bright white rocket into space. Launch director Hans Koenigsmann runs through the pre-launch checks. Fuel check. Helium? Helium, good. Liquid oxygen? There's no reply. The ponytailed engineer squints at his screen. Uh, we're short. Hang on. The engineer refreshes his screen. Damn it. We're not short. We're losing liquid oxygen. The engineer taps on his keyboard. The fuel readings appear on one of the wall monitors. SpaceX's employees stare in horror as the liquid oxygen level shrinks before their very eyes. The ponytailed engineer hunches over his keyboard. Looks like a vent's open. That's what's letting the oxygen evaporate. Trying to close it. The engineer hits return. He tries it again, and then one last time. It's not closing. Some kind of a mechanical fault, I think. Koenigsman checks his watch. The Army's given SpaceX a six-hour window to launch its rocket. They're two hours in already. Koenigsman considers his options. He's got technicians stationed three miles from the launch island. It's tight, but there's just enough time for them to get to the island fix the vent, replenish the liquid oxygen, and return to safety. Okay, get the fuel team on a boat immediately. The control room team watches anxiously as the boat carrying the technicians bobs over rough waters. Once the boat reaches the jetty, the technicians scramble ashore and rush towards the rocket. With every passing second, SpaceX is running out of time and liquid oxygen. After inspecting the rocket, 
A technician radios in. The vent's busted. Even if we could fix it, we don't have enough liquid oxygen here to make up for what we've lost. Koenigsman holds his head in his hands. He's out of options. Okay, abort mission. Get that rocket back in storage before the sea air corrodes it. A month later, SpaceX tries again. But this time, there are power supply issues. They scrub the launch again. And while Elon Musk's rocket stalls in the Pacific, Richard Branson is grabbing all the attention. The important thing about today's accomplishment is this is not an end. It's just a very good beginning. It's January 2006, and Virgin Galactic's just launched a giddy promotional video. Well, hello, I'm Richard Branson. Holidays in space, book now. Our first Virgin Galactic astronauts will be booking their own place in history as pioneers of a new space age. Well, I hope you'll be as excited and inspired by Virgin Galactic's mission as I am. And I'll see you up there. Within days, the first hundred seats are sold at $200,000 apiece. By spring, more than 18,000 people have registered for their 15-minute flight to suborbit. And with customers lining up, Virgin Galactic just needs to finish its Spaceship 2 rocket plane. It's March 2006, and on Quaj, SpaceX is looking to get Falcon 1 off the ground for the third time. Near the back of the control room, a nervous Elon Musk watches his team run the final checks. And it's not just the imminent launch making him anxious. Across the room, a man with a clipboard is making notes. He's Dave Weeks, and he's from DARPA, the Pentagon's Blue Sky Research Agency. Since 1958, DARPA has funded emerging technology that the military might find useful. Things like M16 rifles, GPS, and something called the Internet. Now, DARPA's betting $8 million on Musk's dreams of low-cost space rockets. But the infusion of taxpayers' money means Musk now has the government looking over his shoulder. Musk's eyes are glued to the live feed from Amalek Island. The Falcon 1's custom-made Merlin rocket engine ignites. Bright orange flames blast out from beneath the rocket, and then it rises. Musk leans forward as the monitors switch to the rocket's rearview camera. The island's palm trees and huts shrink from view as the flame from the engine burns white hot. He sees the fast receding shoreline, then the turquoise waters all around it, then the wisps of low-hanging clouds. SpaceX's employees try to focus on monitoring the flight, but what they really want is to scream in celebration because this is really happening. After all the struggles and all the setbacks, the Falcon 1 is heading to space. As the Falcon 1 gains altitude, the live feed from the camera on its back shows the island shrinking away. But then the island appears to rotate, revolving like a roulette wheel. It takes a split second for Musk to realize his rocket is spinning. 
The picture spins faster. A long, fiery tail spirals from the engine and then the island lurches out of view. Musk gets a glimpse of a vertical horizon. And then the picture cuts to static as the Falcon 1 slams into the ocean. The room is silent. The SpaceX team is frozen in shock. DARPA Representative Weeks stands up. He spent his career at NASA, and he knows the protocol for these occasions. Lock the door. Nothing and no one leaves this room until we've secured all the data. After that, we start the recovery. Every piece of debris we can find needs to be collected and cataloged as evidence. As the gutted SpaceX team moves into action, Musk pulls Weeks aside. What are you doing? These are my people. It's my rocket, my explosion, my mess. Your rocket just exploded on a U.S. military facility on a mission the government paid for. There will be a government-led investigation, and it will be for the government, not you, to decide when and if you can launch again. Musk frowns, but he knows the guy's right. All SpaceX can do now is help the investigation finish its work as quickly as possible. Fine. Tell me what you need. The failed launch devastates SpaceX. With Falcon 1 grounded, the team in Quadge are reduced to fishing rocket remains out of the ocean. Frustrated by the setback, Musk lashes out at his team, accusing them of screwing up. But when the investigation ends in July 2006, it isn't the team who's to blame. The cause of the crash was a tiny nut on the fuel pump that had been corroded by the salty air. It's a brutal reminder for SpaceX that in rocketry, even the smallest problem can have explosive results. The government lets SpaceX try again, but the incident has cost SpaceX dearly. It's burning through its cash fast. Musk might be rich, but in the space business, he's a man on a shoestring budget. SpaceX desperately needs a major contract, but United Launch Alliance has locked up the military market, and that means there's only one customer left, NASA. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov.
It's August 2006, and in El Segundo, California, nervous SpaceX employees gather on the factory floor for an all-hands meeting. They know the company's been chasing a major NASA contract to ferry cargo to the International Space Station. They also know winning it could be their make-or-break moment. As Elon Musk emerges from his office, the employees fall silent. They watch him approach, trying to read his mood. The stony expression on his face doesn't bode well. Musk looks at the expectant and fearful faces in front of him. NASA's made its decision and... We f***ing won! The room erupts. SpaceX lives to fight another day. NASA's paying SpaceX $280 million to complete its larger Falcon 9 rocket and create a cargo capsule called the Dragon. It's a major vote of confidence from the space agency. Now, SpaceX must prove NASA's faith isn't misplaced. But NASA's choice of who to fund was limited. Space titans Boeing and Lockheed Martin didn't even bid. They don't get out of bed for under a billion dollars. And with the immense backing of Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin doesn't need taxpayers' money to make progress. It's November 2006, and in the remote West Texas desert, there's a party going on. Next to bleachers surrounded by huge screens, Blue Origin employees and their families tuck into plates of potato salad and beef brisket cooked on a mesquite-fired barbecue. Nearby, their kids leap around in a huge bouncy castle. A Blue Origin engineer wanders over to Jeff Bezos. The company's founder is munching on pit-baked beans and wearing cowboy boots emblazoned with the Blue Origin motto, Gridatum Ferociter, step-by-step, ferociously. Hey, Jeff, exciting day, huh? Bezos nods. Yeah, it's going to be an incredible day. Bezos looks up from his plate and across the parched landscape. Everything as far as the eye can see, is his. This is Blue Origin's test site, and it's a third the size of Rhode Island. Here, Blue Origin can work in peace, free from neighbors, trespassing space fanatics, and nosy competitors. He looks at one of the giant screens. It's showing live footage from a launch pad a couple of miles away. On that launch pad is a futuristic vessel that resembles a giant white chocolate Hershey's kiss. That dumpy vehicle is Blue Origin's latest creation. It's called Goddard, and it's built around Blue Origin's first homemade engine, the BE-1. Today, Goddard will test that engine and the latest version of the company's launch and land systems. Bezos glances at the barbecue station. Looks like everyone's had their fill. Well, let's start the show. Ten minutes later... Bezos, his employees, and their families cram onto the bleachers and join in with a countdown. Goddard activates its engines and kicks up a big, dirty cloud. It floats into the air until it's about the height of the Statue of Liberty, and then it gently lands right back where it started. The show lasts just 30 seconds but it's gone exactly to plan. Blue Origin might still be earthbound, but like its turtle mascot, it's marching forward tenaciously. 
It's mastering automated launches and landings and learning to make rocket engines. And its next step is to reach orbit. But to do that, it needs more space engineers. And it knows just where to get them. In the months that follow, Blue Origin headhunts SpaceX's top talent, offering them double the pay and relief from Musk's relentless workaholic culture. Soon, there's a steady trickle of talent from SpaceX to Blue Origin. Enraged, Musk deploys email filters to block his rival's overtures and sues Bezos' company, but the courts dismiss his suit. The brain drain isn't Musk's only problem. His hopes that the Falcon 1's existence would inspire a new market for small satellite launches have come to nothing. The cost of making the Falcon 9 and Dragon capsule is fast eroding the money from NASA. The only hope is to break into the commercial satellite launch business. But to do that, SpaceX must prove it can deliver. And that means getting the Falcon 1 into orbit. In March 2007, the Falcon 1 flies again. The rocket blasts off from Quaj smoothly. It holds steady through Max-Q, the elevation at which air resistance and gravity combine to exert maximum pressure on a rocket structure. Then, three minutes after liftoff, near the edge of space, the first stage rocket booster detaches. As the first stage falls to Earth, the second stage engine that'll complete the Falcon's journey ignites. But just as it's about to reach orbit, the Falcon 1 wobbles and then explodes. It's close, but no cigar. And it blasts another massive hole in SpaceX's finances. 17 months later, in August 2008, the Falcon 1 is ready to fly again from Quaj. This time, SpaceX feels positive. The company's made significant improvements since the last failed launch, including a new version of the Merlin rocket engine. The company's even loaded this rocket with a real payload, an experimental military satellite, and the ashes of actor James Doan, a.k.a. Scotty from Star Trek. At 3.34 p.m., the Falcon 1's Merlin engine screams to life. In SpaceX's Californian headquarters, employees watching the live feed go wild as the rocket shoots into the air. Go, go, go! It's holding steady. They watch as the Falcon 1 rips through the bright blue skies fast and smooth. Then it tears through Max-Q without a blip. As it reaches the edge of space, the employees hold their breath. In the silence, you can hear Elon Musk whispering to himself, Come on, come on. The first stage booster detaches, but the second stage engine fires a moment too late. The booster bangs into the rocket. The collision knocks Falcon 1 off course, causing it to miss orbit and plunge into the Pacific Ocean. The failure hits the stunned crowd at SpaceX's headquarters in California like a sledgehammer. Exhausted and demoralized, they slump into chairs and bury their heads in their hands. Some start sobbing. They reached for the stars and came crashing back to Earth. Elon Musk tries to rally his heartbroken team. Look, I know this is disappointing, 
But we are going to do this. It is going to be okay. But the dark rings under Musk's eyes tell a different story. Right now, he's staring into the abyss. His sleep is plagued with nightmares of ruin and failure, terrifying visions where he watches his business empire crumble to dust. Truth is, his once huge fortune is nearly vaporized. He's borrowing from friends to get by. Musk's space dream hangs by a thread. Just one more failure, and he's finished. On the next episode, Blue Origin opens up to NASA, President Obama shakes up space policy, and America waves farewell to the shuttle. From Wondery, this is Episode 3 of SpaceX vs. Blue Origin for Business Wars. If you like our show, we hope you'll give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. And to listen to episodes one week early, join Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. And if you'd like to learn more about SpaceX and Blue Origin, check out the book Space Barons by Christian Davenport. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor, edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say, good. Because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.